Hello and welcome to episode three of the Total Experience podcast from Tribal London, a podcast about brand experience, what it is, how it works and how we can do it better. Each episode will be bringing you enticing, fresh and thought-provoking perspectives as we go deep on a new and different aspect of brand experience. My name is Richard Cable and I'm head of content here at Tribal. Our aim is always to take the good conversations we have about brand experience and share them with a wider audience. So feel free to get stuck in, let us know how we're doing and the sort of things you'd like us to cover in future episodes. This episode, we're looking at the colleague experience. Here at Tribal, we believe a great brand experience is the product of three things. First is customer experience, second is colleague experience, and third is what we call organizational enablers, the tools to do the job. Since you ask, the reason we use the term colleague rather than another word like employee or staff is because a colleague is invested in the brand where employees and staff may not be. So the word colleague has its roots in the word partner, and we think that's a really critical distinction. Okay, so why is the colleague experience so important in brand experience? Well, to give you an example, imagine you're, I don't know, say, a much-loved specialty cheese brand with centuries of cheesy heritage behind you. You ship most of your cheese through one posh supermarket, so while you have online ordering and a delivery service, it's a small and arcane part of the business. The employees who work in digital sit in a damp porter cabin office at the end of your industrial estate. They feel a bit detached and uninvested from your business, and all those stories about your incredible 450 years of cheese making has mostly passed them by. The digital staff churn every two or three months, in large part because the systems you run are ancient and incredibly difficult to use, but also because they feel peripheral and underappreciated. And then something terrible like a global pandemic happens. Customers still want your cheese, it's amazing cheese after all, and in fact they want much more of it because they're spending most of their time sitting at home, anxiety binging. But the posh supermarket has dropped you to focus on volume brands because everyone is panic buying. So it's online or nothing. And suddenly overworked and undertrained staff are alienating customer after customer because they are stressed, and that comes across as indifference and rudeness. Your ancient digital systems are too creaky to scale, and as a consequence, crash constantly, further exacerbating the problems. You abandon your sparsely monitored social channels altogether. In the warehouse, your staff are more used to shipping bulk than individual orders, and so more mistakes are made. Product is damaged and lost, and now you can't get the delivery vans. Bad reviews proliferate online, and the negative word of mouth starts to spread. So you decide to bite the bullet, shut down operations, and ride out the storm. It's easy enough to lay off your digital team because they're all on zero hours. But then one of them posts an angry tweet about how your brand has cut them loose with no safety net at the worst possible time. The tweet blows up and suddenly your loyal customers are swearing an oath never to buy your cheese again. Before Coronagen, your customer experience had two components. The heavenly taste of the cheese itself and the outsourced experience of shopping in a posh supermarket. But because your staff didn't understand or care about the brand and the tools at their disposal weren't fit for the task, your brand experience quickly became toxic. The cheese was amazing, but everything fell apart because your colleague experience was terrible. Perhaps more than anything, the current crisis has thrown the colleague experience into sharp relief. Social distancing and the resulting huge shifts to working from home, if you can, has created a huge experiment under laboratory conditions into a radically different way of working. Here are three key takeouts. Number one, distance. Most of the last 200 years has been a process of densification concentration of higher and higher numbers of people in smaller and smaller spaces. It's a product of the Industrial Revolution, when the primary mode of communication was handwritten messages carried on horseback, and the primary economic activity was manufacturing. Then it made sense. Shortening your lines of communication meant big increases in efficiency and lower costs. The modern office space is a product of 19th century thinking that prevails in defiance of the changing nature of our work and what the Bain Consultancy calls the declining cost of distance. Do I need to be in the office to do my job? For most of us, we now know the answer to that question. If it isn't no, then it's almost certainly nowhere near as much. Modern digital communications are now sufficiently advanced and, thanks to Amazon, 
the infrastructure required to deliver anything to anyone at any time sufficiently well established that it actually becomes hard to justify colossal energy-hogging office spaces or the equally colossal energy-hogging slog of the daily commute. If the next big challenge after coronavirus is, as is widely hoped, actually taking climate change seriously for once, this seems like one good way to take billions of tonnes of carbon out of circulation. Now, Nova's managers will no doubt be asking the question, if they aren't in the office, will the work get done? Lockdown will emphatically give us the answer, and I think the answer will be a resounding yes. And besides, rather than keeping people under your watchful eye, isn't a better and healthier solution to foster a culture of mutual trust and validation that means you don't have to? Number two, decompression. One of the big takeouts from lockdown is that being forced to cram less into my day has been absolutely brilliant. You simply can't live life at a 21st century pace when the only reasons you're allowed to leave the house are to walk the dog every day or to do your one shopping trip of the week. It's not a long-term solution by any means. I mean, we've all seen The Shining, but it's definitely a moment for re-evaluation. For example, if lockdown has made absolutely no difference to your social calendar, this means you probably need to look at your work-life balance. Pre-coronavirus, pretty much everyone I know, myself included, was living just-in-time lives. Just-in-time is the production methodology developed by Toyota during the 1960s and 70s to increase efficiency and cut waste. Like the name suggests, it requires tightly integrated systems based on steady flows of work, minimal mistakes, delivery of consistent quality and super reliable suppliers. This always-on approach is great if you're building cars, but it's almost impossible to keep up if you're a human being. And because there's no redundancy in the system, so no real margin for error, the minute one part of the system fails, the whole thing grinds to a halt. The difference for human beings is that this pressure is created largely by expectation rather than need. We don't need a lot of this shit in our lives, and I suspect a lot of us won't easily invite it back in once this lockdown is over. In 1926, a psychologist called Graham Wallace wrote a book called The Art of Thought. In it, he described the four stages of creative thinking, preparation, incubation, illumination and verification. Most of us will feel that the preparation, illumination and verification stages are pretty familiar. Preparation is about looking for inspiration, pulling together ideas and fleshing out the problem. Illumination is when you light on an idea and shape it into a solution. And verification is about running it past other people to see if it works. The bit we tend to miss out in living our just-in-time lives is incubation. Incubation is basically where you put the problem on the back burner while you go away and do something else. What Wallace described as a voluntary abstention from conscious thought on the problem. It's a period of unconscious processing during which your brain is figuring out the problem on its own while you're doing something else. By decompressing and making space for incubation, you'll actually get to better work. Number three, dispensing with the digital. By which I mean the distinction rather than the concept. Digital is an increasingly unhelpful term in the modern workplace because it suggests that there is a distinction between the colleague experience, physical, and the colleague experience, digital. An invitation to ghettoize or marginalize the geeks. But like your customers, your colleagues increasingly don't see that distinction. All they need are the right tools to do the job. And it just so happens that, if you're doing it right, many of those tools should be networked, integrated, intelligent and location agnostic. The fact that so many of them aren't is often down to legacy ways of working and organisational enablers that are not fit for purpose. Working in an office with lots of other people helps mask some of those problems, but being able to walk over and look at someone else's screen is a workaround not a solution that can scale or future-proof your business. The lockdown is going to be an incredibly good test of your colleague experience. Namely, how much of the disruption to your business is down to absolutely, definitely, 100% needing to have people in the same space working together, and how much of it is down to not having the right tools in place to enable your colleagues to do their job to the best of their ability. If it's the latter, 
It's those legacy ways of working and unfit organisational enablers that are letting you down and it's time to change things up. So stop calling it digital and start calling it good brand experience. Okay, so that gives us distance, decompression and dispensing with the digital distinction. Let's revisit our specialty cheese brand. The global pandemic has hit and your posh supermarket has dropped you to focus on volume brands. It's a blow, but you've invested in social media and your e-commerce site, so there's cause for hope. Your team of integrated specialists lets your fan base know that you won't be available in supermarkets, but you are still available online. Most of your CRM and social managers work remotely already, and because you have an online training system, including a lovely, heartwarming introduction to the brand, it's easy enough to scale up and help your new recruits invest in their work. When the lockdown comes, you're only moderately impacted. Your new customer management system allows you to rapidly offer 25% discount to NHS workers that generates a huge amount of goodwill. As orders ramp up, your people on the factory floor can be rapidly retrained from bulk to small orders with the same online training system. And with every packet of cheese that goes out, you email each customer with a personalised message thanking them for their continued custom and offering a 10% discount on their next order. Yes, this is a fictional example, but one that is based in truths, your colleague experience and the organisational enablers that enable them to do their jobs to the best of their ability are fundamental to a quality brand experience. And those businesses that understand this will be the ones that ride out the storm more successfully than their less colleague-focused rivals. Okay, so that's it for this episode of the Total Experience Podcast from Tribal London. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, don't forget that you can subscribe for more and feel free to recommend, share, quote, and contribute to it. Episode 4 will be along shortly. I've been Richard Cable, and until then, many thanks for listening. Stay home and stay safe. No specialty cheeses were harmed in the making of this podcast. Music